Welcome back to this week's episode of Rising Giants with your hosts, Max Thornton and Dominic Kalusik. This week is episode 106. We're interviewing Ledette Pedor. He's the founder of Tech for Kids Academy. They're creating new learning pathways for students to apply their knowledge using technological innovation concepts, offering short courses in IoT, coding, robotics, AI, and entrepreneurship. He's also the president of the British Chevening Alumni Association of Cambodia, that which we discussed at the beginning of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So how did you end up coming into the Chevening process? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I learned a lot from the process. I didn't get it from the first try. So I, I got it from the third time so that I applied for the Chevening. But I'm also grateful for what I got, you know, because look back, if I got from the first time or first attempt, I would end up in a career of economist because <laughs> that time I apply for the degree in the economics in economic and then after i worked for the economic in the government for a while i realized that i that's i don't belong in the you know in this field so that's why eventually i choose the business innovation with entrepreneurship where it has been my you know my part-time effort since i started working in 2014 yeah so now i yeah you know that's why i have how to say a really good reflection to all those potential applicants that want to apply for scholarship, not only achieving that it's not about, you know, um, you have you meet with all the qualification to get an, to, to apply. It's about whether or not you know yourself, whether what you want to study and why you want to study. Um, so there are people like, you know, want to apply straightforward after they, and after they graduate from the bachelor, but it turned out to be not something that they want to because they have not quite put some effort in the industry long enough. And then the moment they got it and they work in the industry, it was like, uh, it's not my thing. So it became a trap, you know, <laughs> because it, it trapped with the degree, degree trap. <laughs> okay. So, you, so, yeah. so whatever, so whatever degree that you apply for or area course of study that you study for has to align with the cheapening application that you submit, right? So you have to say, I, I have like this intention of studying economics and it has to align with your acceptance into the economics program at the university that you decide to go to. Correct. So usually it's linked to career plans and by study in the UK or university that you choose. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, typically they're looking for those who are, you know, a future leader or have a big dream. And so it doesn't make, if it doesn't make sense in a way, regarding to the course that you choose and your, you know, career plan. And then it was like the, from the interview perspective, the committee perspective, that uh, we are not knowing ourselves clear enough where we want to go, right? So then it meaning that we are not ready. Yeah. Well, you have quite a lot of resilience to be able to, you know, <laughs> so time, for yeah. the third time, right? That's, yeah. that's, I learned a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah, what do you think is the key takeaway there that you, that you feel like if there's others that are interested in going about that process? Yeah. Um, so, so, so the chevening itself, I think the key takeaway would be really understand what area, what subject that you want to dive deep in. And then from there, select the three courses because Chevening, they require you to select three courses from university that you want to apply. And then at the same time, uh, consider whether or not you are you know, ready to step away from the work for a while because mostly all the Chevening are the professional. Uh, when I've been there, I was the, I mean, Southeast Asia usually, so scholars from Southeast Asia, usually they are the younger, the youngest from Europe, from other countries, you know, their age is about 30 and they have a strong record of experience. So 
yeah, people that I know that they don't want to stop from their work because if they go and then they may lose opportunity and stuff. Um, so one is really on understanding yourself. Second is on really preparation for your work to step away, but also how you plan uh, to elevate or accelerate your career or your dream after you're coming back. So once you can get these two clear, it's easy to put into writing and application as well as the interview in the interview as well. Okay. Understood. And, you know, we're kind of are diving into it, but we just want to say thank you for coming on to Rising Giants today. We we really appreciate your time and, you know, uh, we have a lot to unpack and uncover. It's really great to, to have that introduction and understanding more about this process because, you know, as an American, I, I'm really not familiar with it. So it was, it was really uh, interesting for me, especially for those looking to apply for, for that through universities in the UK. And and can you talk to us a little bit about your time in the UK and your studies abroad and how everything was there and maybe a little bit about how that kind of shaped your your direction early on in your career? Yeah. Thanks for again having me. Uh I appreciate all your work here for Cambodia and also I will see how I can help to, you know, echo or amplify your impact after this. <laughs> um coming back to the questions. So in the UK, first of all, the education system is totally different from Cambodia. I am coming from a really humble background where my parents did not have a chance to, to finish even high school. Um, so even I study, I study in the public school from you know primary school to university in Cambodia until I got the achieving scholarship. So it quite you know a, a three hundred and sixty degree difference in terms of way of study, culture. And also how we need to, you know, self-learn and network with other people, classmates around us. And then what I really noticed is that when I was studying there, key is really to, you know, focus on the self-study and self-explorations. So there are a lot of reading that are required from the university and also a recommended reading, meaning, meaning that extra reading. So when I was studying there, um, each week I only have like, you know, at most, three classes and each class would not last longer than two hours and then when i first see the schedule i was like oh i'm gonna have a lot of free time you know i can do this and that but when i jump into the university a lot of reading that you need to prepare and if you do not if you do if you don't read before the class when it comes to class you will have no idea what they're talking about because <laughs> they talk straight to the point discuss on the issue themselves um, so I, I experienced two times back then, and I was like, okay, I need to really, you know, prepare and all of this. And besides this, uh, I spent you know, around 40 of my time with the university, and then the 60% I joined even outside of the university, because in London, I studied at the University of London and at Burbank College. There are a lot of events outside. And so I have seen how people, you know, professionals, especially in Western countries like UK, um, search and plan and also how they work in a way and one of the interesting sessions that i joined is um, there's a seminar at oxford university the said business school so i registered and then joined the seminar was about the impact investment the esg environmental social and governance and i got to meet one of the distinguished speaker who is the board of tesla and also a close friend of you know people like elon musk and now he is the pension fund manager in japan the value is close to two trillion US dollar, and then he share his visions of how he see the future of capitalism should be reshaped and should be reimagined. 
and that's where I start my second. That's where I got so inspired about the future possibility of how we can have, you know, the small and medium enterprise in Cambodia and also in Southeast Asia to get ready and then to link to, you know, that kind of impact fund in the near future. And then it's where I got to start my second, uh, you know, startup venture company called Optimus. And so regarding to the shaping my career itself, it's really on the cell mastery. Because I didn't get a chance to, you know, live independently in Cambodia. I stayed with my parents. But I'm going there, I stay myself, I cook myself. Even though I don't like cooking, but still, I end up need to cook. <laughs> and so... We have to learn you know, one day, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, at one time, you need to read. The other time, you need to, you know, cook and do all the housework, which is very good to me. And, and then there is a time that is so intense before the exam because coursework because we are from developing country and then we need to catch up with the way of learning of developed country like UK, right? And so that's where I learn about myself the most. And what I call it, you know, to become understanding the key element of strength and weakness, eventually become a self-mastery regardless of whatever circumstances. So whether you are under super stress or whether you are in the you know, super happy time, you need to know or self aware of what you are doing and, and why you are doing it. So this one, I, to me, it's like, Priceless. It's the self mastery skill, which is really about yourself. That entire experience sounded very impactful. Having both learning about yourself, living on your own, and then being able to have that exposure to a lot of um, a lot of very bright minds in in the general startup space too. And after finishing university, you mentioned that you had taken on your first startup endeavor at Tuck It Easy, is that correct? And it'd be great if you could talk to us about that experience, what it was like running a startup in Cambodia at 2016, in 2016, and what what it was like at that time in the country to build. Yeah. So in 2016, I started to work in a way, but I still like the way of, you know, people solving problems and in the process make it like sustainable and viable, what it's called and known as the entrepreneurship that you mentioned. Um, so that time it was a bit hard because the market itself is still new when it comes to startup. So they asked even like startup weekend, you know, ad tags, all of this and that, more like competition-based events where people gather and then, I mean, team up and then start something that they think they would be interested in. And in, t- in 2016, one of the first startups that I joined with the team, it's called Took It Easy. It's the first ride-hailing app uh, even before PassApp and Grab coming in. So back then, we, there is one of the you know, co-founders, they talk about the challenge of bargaining with the Tuk-Tuk driver and also how the driver themselves try to you know, take advantage on the driving, It's like, which is the problem statement of PassApp and the Grab. So at that time, the first, the first startup themselves won the startup weekend competitions. And then we didn't move on because there are a team of, a co-founder of five, and then there are even people interested to invest in, and they call us for a meeting. But I think it's because of most of the co-founders, they are in the comfort zone, meaning that they got a, sal- a high salary already, they are working in a good place. So they take it for granted. Right? Until one year later, pass up coming in, they start to expand. We were like, ah, it seems like we missed something. <laughs> and then let her... <laughs> And let's take it up coming in and Uber coming together. But we we realized that we should have been taking it taking it so seriously, right? 
yeah so we 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 can be the, the passive or grab uh, actually um so that's the first one and then at the second one is on the right hand uh, what it's called is product innovations uh, um startup that focus on how we can help agricultural farmer to you know avoid the red because usually in the rice field farmer when there's a harvesting season they are red going to the field rice field and then eat all their you know rice uh, in even one night they can eat one hectare something is so fast um so there's one of the co-founder she's been working in the development field and she shared a storm and i was like okay why not we have like a sound sonics where we can play in the top of the field and then while the rats going trying to go far away to the end of the field we can have a trap to catch all the trap and then we, because to, to catch all the red because the red themselves in the provinces we can also sell to the middlemen you know there are people buy um rice a red from rice field and then they eat it um like vietnamese and stuff like it and it, it tastes good um it's not red in the city rats in the province in rice field and so we want the competition not only nationally but also in Singapore. One we want regional regional competitions. Uh, the problem was that that time at startup was we cannot find you know the sound expert, the technical expertise for the sound generations in that product design. So the product themselves we have, we know what we want to do it, but find it hard to get the expert in sound. First of all, second, the drive of the founding team themselves, which I I mean I am part of the the co-founder. But at that time, I believe that the drive is not strong enough. And similar problem, you know, like people work in a comfort zone. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, let's see how it goes. But now it turned out not to go anywhere as well. But I was, I'm grateful to, you know, be a part of the team because I didn't plan to, but I end up to be a part of it. And there are two others that I have to, you know, build. But mostly what I learned the most from all of this journey is really the team and also driver who drive the whole visions or who drive you know the whole idea into commercializations it's important you can have a great idea from the start but if there's no one executed it's just like an idea an idea is cheap execution is is, is expensive mm. yeah i think uh you know if people are being if people are part-time or let's say consultants and already have other income they're not going to be dedicated right so can be really hard to to have a team that can, that can do that. Is that what you're referencing? Is like in re- in relation to took it easy, right? The the team were already making good money and they have, weren't full time committed, right? Yeah. So I you the right. Um. So it's like the time commitment from the co founder or the co founder and the drive because usually you know one of the mistakes that people and like I found I saw in startup even in our startup we didn't define the clear role, right? Who is mm-hmm. the final decision maker even though we all co-found this idea together but who does what and also what is the commitment like and what is the term meaning that those who don't commit enough okay you will you maybe you can consider again maybe you are can be you know playing like not executed role so when the moment we done we find it clear enough and also the incentive the sell the agreement or who get what this too is the hidden i would say weapon that make the team dynamic itself not clear, not fast enough. And also, in if you look at the culture in Asia, usually this kind of thing, you know, one is the incentive, the other one is the role. But we all come together and we saw that we have the equal, equal right. I mean, it's hard to move things on because we don't know who decide what. When we have an idea, you ask everyone, right? And the, the moment that you ask everyone to decide something is a mistake. 
right? <laughs> so yeah. many cooks in the kitchen at that point, right? Correct. <laughs> <That's what you'd laughs> you'd also mentioned about, I think a big influence of yours is uh, Peter Thiel and we, uh, we have his book up there. And, you know, I think one of the things that, um, that I'm hearing here as well is like that the, you know, I think when you start a, a team, you kind of have to, you're kind of getting married, right? That's what he describes founding matrimony. And so if you don't, if you don't have that like foundation really aligned, whether it be like the shareholding, you know, who's, who's fully dedicated and who's put, going to be putting in the time and doing what, um, it's just, you know, that, that will, that will be the end of the company. That will be the reason for it. So have you, have you taken some of those lessons, um, with some of these like, you know, startup mentors or people that you admire that have built, you know, great companies. How are you, how have you taken that into the next, into the next step of what you do? Some of these newer companies that you, that you, that you founded more recently and shifting more towards the education space. So basically how I, you know, overcome all of this, it's really on, you know, embracing the culture of speaking the hard truth speaking what needs to be improved and then what the feedbacks are internally and to really understand each other's intention from day one. And so if intention is to make the progress of either a startup or a company, so it should not be a problem to talk about the hard thing, right? Even about finance, about, you know, firing, hiring, all of this, all the co-founder or the board should be comfortable talking about and embrace that culture and encourage people to talk about it internally. Otherwise, people will try to avoid this topic. And this topic becomes a hidden fire in the organization where it will be broken the whole organization eventually. So to me, there are some, you know, decisions, there are some situations where I don't feel comfortable talking about um, with, you know, other co-founder, but to, to, I learned some, you know, some quotes uh, from the internet is that uh, I think maybe Will Smith, uh, yeah. The moment that you are afraid of something, do it. It's the time that you really need to do it because, uh, uh, I mean, if it if it's not you know taking your life, if it don't if it doesn't kill you and it will make you better. So I would see this as a part of the motive to really push the internal team to really discuss and share whatever feedback we see, and then see how we can plan to you know uh, mitigate this or improve it over time. And at the same time, I do I really and I mean from day one or max from the question is to really understand each other as a person, right? How these people operate during the stressful time and during the successful time so it's important i think communication is the key it's really the key for this and then over time reinforce the culture of speaking the hard truth sharing whatever in in minds and then should not take it personally but see how we can make progress and then you know solve the problem together yeah and just to touch on that a little bit more and speaking about hard truths when it comes to when it comes to founders, what are some of the key lessons that you've learned from some of the prior startups that you've helped co-found and run and things may have not worked out, but what would you say are some of those learnings that you've been able to pull from those experiences to be able to bring into your business today that you feel like are very foundational to the establishment of a, of, of a, of a good launch pad for the business to start from? Yes, to, to, to my experience is really on, you know, sharing, you know, say, okay, coming together, discuss a solutions. And if no one have a solution, we should see how we can create a dynamic term 
dynamic solution where, say for example, is there one co-founder not committed enough? Okay, we maybe you are super busy with your personal time, but let's say you have three months, you know, to take a break, and then you can consider to come back or to be be out forever. Um, so this kind of thing, uh, you know, try not to win, try not to create a situation of win or lose, but a situation where we understand that people have their up and down time, but at the same time we don't want it to want want them to take it for granted. Also, try to avoid it to become a culture, right? So to me, it's it's really important important to um, understand the the real, the real situation itself beyond just what what we see that why they are not active, but why try to understand the core. Because sometimes people there are some point that they no longer interested in. They want to get out, but they don't know how to start the conversations. And we can talk straight forward. You know, there are some time that I also one of the co-founder that I have in the past. You know, he is very senior, and then I need to figure out a way how, you know, because, I mean, he has been one of the part of the obstacle to move the comedy forward. So I need to figure out a way to, you know, um, settle it. So it's not easy, and I and I believe that some startup founder, what they, when it comes to this, what I learned from other startup as well is that they would, okay, keep it there, you know, not talking anything. So to me, we need to decide whether we want the comedy forward or we just don't want to do it or postpone it. If we don't, if we postpone it, maybe it's time to drop anyway. But to me, the startup itself, not the time to drop is not when there is no progress from a co-founder. It should be the time that you know we try out all of the ideas, but it doesn't work. That should be the time that we drop, not the time that the co-founder has a problem and then we don't want to deal with it. We need to deal with all of this obstacle. That's a part of the you know the hardship and the difficulty of being the startup founder. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, and just like kind of bring bringing it back to like today and your recent founding of Tech for Kids Academy, what what have you done differently with the setup of that company that is kind of that, that is that compares to what you what you've seen in the past, or let's say companies that you think have have maybe gone wrong because of let's say co-founder disputes, wrong shareholdings, wrong incentives, uh, all these kinds of things. What what were you able to do at the beginning that you think creates a strong foundation? So, I mean, we didn't start right since the beginning, meaning that on day one, we evolved over time. What, what principle that we set is that we aim and we pursue for excellence. So we don't satisfy with the status quo or whatever progress that we make as a startup company. So every time we've done something, we're happy with what we have done. But over time, the question is, the moment we've done something, in the next time, how we can done it better? How we can make it, you know, five times, ten times better? So that is one of the principles that we have. And the second one is really on, we said, whatever it takes, we need to, you know, survive in the war, not in the battle. In the battle, meaning that, you know, being a competition, doing this and that, some kind of event base. But in business, what we see is to win the war. The war is the war, is the survival of the company, regardless of you know economic recessions, financial recession. Recently, there's COVID time, so this is the really important the ability to change our strategy to really continue pursuing pursuing our visions. Um, so these are the principles that we have among our co-founder and management team to making sure that whatever uh comes in our way will become our way. And so at the same time, regarding to the culture of Facebook, we said um, it's really on the merit base. 
So, you know, in the technology space, regardless of your degree, we, we pay you on based on what you can deliver. So there are people that have, you know, bachelor degree, but they can they get as high as salary as those who are graduate from master degree. Um, so because their ability, we focus on, you know, their, their capability to do something. And so at the same time, at Text for Kids itself, we try to, you know, create a culture of checking in over time of uh, how we can promote and incentivize of the team member as the company growth. And also we share what has been a challenge and also uh, always, all the time in the meeting weekly that we have is that um, what else we can improve internally and organizationally. So I would say we are still in a, a work in progress a startup company that aim to become, you know, the next uh, Cambridge or IL in technology because usually we have IL for the examination, examination, examination test for English speaking. And Cambridge, they have a Cambridge systems for, you know, general education, right? So, but there's no technology, you know, global certifications, what it call like, you know, qualified certificate yet in technology. So we want to be, you know, the software of all the school in technology uh, education space. And don't get me wrong, all people that study with us, they don't have to be a programmer or coder, but digital skill is essential. It's just like English speaking, right? 10 years ago, English language, you know, people would say, oh, you need to be a tour guide to learn English. But no, now you want to access to the knowledge around the world, you need to use English, right? I know Chinese is coming in a way, but English still, yeah. So similar to this kind of digital skill. So yeah, so again, I think challenging the static quo, committing to be the best version of ourselves over time is one of the principles that we um, set in whatever discussions and we focus on you know best solution rather than whose idea coming from it's not about me it's not about my team it's why it is the best solution and the, the best idea to start with okay and yeah for the audience that has just you know listened to that and stuff what you know could you also just explain i guess what what tech for kids is today and what are the kind of the products that you offer and who you sell those products to yeah uh tech for kids could be shared as the you know the technology education programs that we uh, focus on those who are eight, eight, uh, 6 to 18. And we provide programs like computer science, robotic and engineering, and digital skills to most schools, private and international schools, in a way that they can embed the program or make it as an enrichment program. Enrichment program meaning that after school program like weekend or, you know, at 5 p.m. onward where parents leave work and then students still wait for parents. And then for us come school, they put it as in bed because they see the essential of the program to be a part of the credential of the capability of the students. And usually we uh, work with the, you know, both private international school and also the government. There are government that also have been working with us to develop ICT-related curriculums and then uh, sex-related among other public schools as well. And as of now, we have trained over 3,500 students across Cambodia about technology education. Yeah. So it, to us, the next product that we are focusing on now is to really connect the learning design with other regional programs with Singapore, Thailand, and UK to make it, you know, recognized in a way, but also see how we can shorter the journey of the learning for the students. Because when it comes to education, there are two. One is the general education that students need to study from grade 1 to grade 12. The other one is the vocational training. So. To us, we see ourselves as creating a, an expressway for students to learn technology. 
So by age 15, students studying with us, they would have as much knowledge in technology as those who are studying in the university in Cambodia already. So why? What's the matter? Because by then, they could start earning the income. They can dive deep into the other specific skill and then can become a freelancer. They can already generate the revenue. They don't need to wait until finish high school or graduate from bachelor degree to generate income, right? So yeah, so that kind of thing we want to make it, you know, unique in a way. Okay. Okay, great. And what what's it been like founding that and the journey so far? Can you can you share some like what have been some of the challenges? We know in in Cambodia the ed tech space is still you know it's still like just sort of getting going. I would say if that like like that there hasn't been like that much investment yet in the space, and I think there needs to be more. So I'm just curious, like what's yeah what's it been like, and yeah what have, what have some of the challenges been to to grow the business? Um. So. Uh, the challenge is really on, you know, um, the integration with the system, the public and private school, uh, first of all. And then there also the awareness of the parents to understand the differentiations of technology education and IT class, right? Because people would, parents, come choose between the computer class and then the technology class. So there are schools that we work with they communicate like it's computer class, but they turn out to train only Microsoft Office, you know, Microsoft Word, Excel. All of this is not technology education. Technology education is focused on um, solving fundamental, you know, framework, and then also how they can access to numerous tools of technology in order to make it become a solution and then make it as a project, right? It's not you learn Microsoft Office or slide PowerPoint and design something. It's totally different thing. And at the same time, on market side is really on the B2B to us that we see potential can help us sustain over time. And at the same time, no, I mean, uh, more, more than that, it's really on how we can, you know, convince and then persuade all the parents to see the value of the technology skill that all the kids should have. Because what we see is that those who have or um, have the knowledge of digital skill, they can earn a hundred times at least more for their money for their money income over their entire working career. It's just like if you study accounting and those there are people study accounting that have zero idea about the digital skills or technology. And then those who study accounting but have some digital skill or technology skill. So these two people, the one that have, you know, digital skill, first of all, they can they have much more opportunity than those who don't. First of all, second, they get a better pay. So this is just like English, just like language, right? Those who can speak English or speak Chinese, they can earn more than those who only have hard skill alone. So to really articulate this, you know, to the parents and to the school is super important because when it comes to school, that by our programs, one of the concerns that they have is that it would cost them a bit more, which would affect to their profit margin. But if they look at it in a different way, market in a different way to the parents, and then I believe that all the school would have, you know, a strong human capital, strong quality student to compete not only within their school, but also regionally. Because that's for kids, we have many programs that help students to showcase their capability nationally and internationally. Um, so, yeah, I think to us, it's really to see how we can capture more B2B market space, even those we plan to launch the e-learning platform by the end of this year. Yeah. Okay, great. And Maybe you could t- talk to us a little bit about the competitive landscape 
within within Cambodia and maybe even regionally and how you plan to take on those challenges over the next several years? Yeah, to us is to really build a pool of, you know, network and mentor to, you know, be ready, be ready to deliver the training and the content to the students. And if you look at the same competitor in Cambodia and in Thailand that we have access, is that usually they bring in the standalone products and then they take it as, you know, a part of learning for the students. Say microbit, Arduino, or other robotic related tool to train the student. But the question is, after students learn from all of these tools, what is next? Right? To us, we add a value with the what is next. We connect with other competitions, with other universities, with other schools that we have partnered with. Um, so the, 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 the differentiation and the unique selling point to us is really on, uh, first of all, the certain learning journey, and second is the recognized qualifications. At the same time, we see competitor, you know, some they bring international curriculums uh, to Cambodia, which is a bit to me, to me question mark because when it comes to international curriculums, there are two things that you need to address, two problems. One is the student capability alignment, and second one is the context of the learning. You know, a program like from say from Western or Europe, uh, when it comes to technology, they may. For example, they give an example to students about Uber. So Uber is not existed in Cambodia, so it should be grabbed. So this kind of thing is I would call context-based. And then the second one is the industry linkage. So the curriculum and the learning design itself should link to the industry practice, not that theory based. Where that's why we design, you know, all the learning design that we have, we focus on three angles. One is industry and the second one is academic. Lastly is the context. So that's what makes us unique in a way in the whole learning design that we have. Not just about the product, it's just, you know, it's about the learning fundamental that the student uh, need to have and then get ready on. Yeah. Regionally, on the international side, competitions, to us, we see that we know that uh, there are countries like Vietnam and Thailand that are going so fast in Singapore as well. But in a way, I think we haven't seen anyone that focus similar thing to what we have been doing yet. You know, five years ago, when I talked about textbook kid academy missions, people was like, why, why do we need this? Why do, we do, you know, why, why do kids need to study this and that? And now people want to invest in it. So it's interesting to, to see, you know, on day one, you have something that is try to convince people that it's worse, but people say it's not, you know, necessary, but now everyone wants to do it. And then you can see a lot of, you know, similar setup now. They do on the technology education, STEM education, but let's see how 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 we all can survive in the in the education market space. Yeah, yeah, the, and you know, to that point, there are there are not only like yourself, but there are other companies and individuals that are specifically focusing on different channels of improving edu- uh, STEM education in Cambodia. And you know, as you mentioned five years ago, right? People were wondering like, why why do I need this? But seeing the growth from then to today how long from your perspective do you think it will take for more of a mass adoption in the country to occur of understanding that this is like the importance of this kind of education how this is how this will not only benefit you know if you're wanting to stay in Cambodia and maybe work within Cambodia in in one of those fields but even if you have aspirations to go abroad? I would say it would be around three to five years 
really because you know now there are many like technology like AI help a lot with uh, with education technology and also um, there are countries that are trying to take this as a part of their learning requirement their curriculum requirement a country nearby nearby our country um, and so um, it's really on how the the education sector or the government um, try to help the path for the young generations to learn otherwise the students they will leverage all the technology to learn by themselves and the challenge is that when they learn themselves it is good but the key is how they develop a framework of learning you know way of learning something specifically deeply not just the surface so that's why what we do is trying to address that gap and also since the technology moves so fast and young generation now they are born you know becoming the digital native they can use the, the our smartphone without us teaching them by egg file or something and so i think more or less uh, that kind of thing will you know give a lot of pressure to the education system to really adapt to what industry is moving forward and then to really adapt to the new nature of humans being in learning especially the young generation where they learn fast and their attention span is so short and they curious a lot outside of the education curriculum or system so we need yeah. to see how we can embrace this kind of creativity curiosity to the young generations and making them become a part of education driver because in the past education has been established in the world war too right to train people work in the industry on specific skill but now we don't know what technology would bring us to and then kids they so fast in adapting all of this so we need to really balance between the they you know the learning designer and then the learner themselves what they where they really are and how they will learn forward to integrate and make something that is how to say um fit into most people in terms of way of learning but should not be a, you know should not be a ladder meaning that we need to okay finish grade eight and then you go to grade two uh mm-hmm. finish grade two go to grade three this kind of thing i think uh, would no longer work for students you can see programs like you know in, in some country like in uk master degrees only one year actually i learned 10 months <laughs> and then there are countries <laughs> like two years or one year and a half so this kind of thing i think really need to design a dynamic education system in a way to fit in you know, human speed, like I mentioned, because otherwise human resource is scarce and, you know, the rate of people or the newborn now is also decreasing. And if you look at tech talent themselves in Asia, students, you know, in Asia, over 300 million students don't have access to technology education. In Cambodia, over 2 million. So this kind of thing, we need to see how we can help them adapt and then be ready to become a part of the digital workforce. Yeah. and. It's, it's very fascinating because the style at which people learn nowadays is so much more different than when, say, I was I was in elementary school or middle school, right? Like, as you had mentioned, it, there is this, it was almost like more regimented in a sense of this is grade one, two, three, but now the, the, velo- the going back to it, the velocity at which and the style at which kids learn these days, it's its something that you have to completely adapt to. And in an ever-changing environment that that's occurring, like I having that alignment with government, with private sector and public sector, that's super important. And what's at least good to know or understand is that Cambodia is heading in that direction and that alignment's all there. So really hoping for this 
three to five years, as you had suggested. So, um, yeah, as we kind of transition to our last part of our podcast, where we ask more interpersonal questions, what are some unusual habits or that that you have that maybe not many others know about? Or what's maybe something that that an absurd thing that you love? Yeah. So I think the unusual habit is I like to, you know, um, stay in the quiet space in, with the nature and then try to observe the nature and reflecting. But I don't have much. I mean, I didn't have a lot of chance. And I'm, after I becoming a governor, back then I love to, you know, love to stay in a quiet place, a quiet, quiet place and then observe the nature and also reading and drawing. I like to put things together and seeing how things are connected and also... Yeah, I, I like I like that kind of thing a lot, and also reading as well. Um, traveling, I do still love a lot, but I mean, we'll see how the comedy goes, and then I can go back to that hobby. <laughs> but as of now, still need to you know figure out a, a schedule to work it out. <laughs> hey, you um, can still you can maybe find some time to to travel somewhere within Cambodia or something like that too, right? Every yeah, every yeah. founder needs a little bit of a break. <laughs> correct, correct. And um, um, I think that's uh, the unusual thing. That people may not know about yeah great and when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused you know what are some of the things that you do to get you back on track to regain that focus hmm. so usually i try to you know either walk either walk go for a walk a bit or find something to read to you know bring all soul and the focus back and a bit reflect so this these three together kind of work in different situations, but justly reflex and reading help me most because when we go to walking, we need to find some space to walk as well. <laughs> so yeah, there's not a lot of public space here yet. So yeah, but when I was in UK, it was very effective walk and exercise every morning. So it's very helpful. And also I meditate uh, back then in the UK. Oh yeah, the, uh, the difference in the size of or the amount of parks between UK and Phnom Penh <laughs> is just a slight difference. So. Yeah. <laughs> what do you feel like people mis misunderstand about you the most? Mm. I believe is the my friendliness and also between my friendliness and my affirmation on come to decision making. So I am friendly, respect everyone because everyone they have their unique points to learn where you can learn from. But when it comes to decision, it's, I mean, kind of, you know, decisive. And then different, you know, it's going to be a different uh, style from what I interact socially. So I would say that's what people misunderstand about me. And, and unless they work with me, and then they, they realize, yeah. <laughs> so everyone everyone that's working at Tech for Kids will, will understand that one. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my thing I... Told them that uh, not all okay, but other other venture as well is that we all coming to learn from each other because when we work together, we will transform each other. So my only principle is collective growth, learning and growth together. But when it comes to this decision, uh, just make the decision. Which one is the best? Do it. Yeah, no, it's not personal. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you could have coffee with anyone dead or alive in this moment what would who would it be and why oh benjamin franklin okay benjamin yeah. franklin nice what is yes. what, what uh that, that was a very immediate answer it feels like 
you've been dying to have a, a, a some coffee with this guy <laughs> <laughs> and also yeah that for the western side yeah and also the uh the other one for cambodian side is the you know Tunat in cambodia there is one of the well-known monks Tunat. he created you know a lot of things for cambodia little more literature these two people i find them really interesting and respect in a way but i mean franklin i think most people or some people know that he's a, a father of innovations Besides his personal life, I think he tried a lot of things. So I tried to learn like, the motive and, and stuff. And then for the uh, Mang, respective Mang Chunat, uh, he's uh, one of the role models for Cambodian back then to, you know, keep striving for better creation for, for language literature, even during the, you know, hard time of Cambodia. And so to me, it's too polished. I mean, I love to learn and see how, you know, thing move on in their mind <laughs> no that's great and our traditional closing question that we like to ask each of our guests is what is the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given hmm. i think the most important one is interesting that a lot of advice come from different situations i think it would be you know trying to no i think it's doing doing your best so there, there is a time that i joined a organization and then I said that, oh, I tried my best. And they told me that, don't try your best. Because try your best, you still have room for excuse. Do your best. Yeah, so from that time onward, do, doing my best is one of my motto. Yeah, so whatever I do, I do my best. Yeah, and then let the results speak itself. Well, I really like that. I think it's definitely going to be something that I think about moving forward and in all my other jobs that I will take <laughs> on in the future too. So, Thanks, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, Yes, thank you again so much for coming on to Rising Giants Best Day, Lita, and we really appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing all the success that Tech for Kids will bring over the rest of the year and into next year, and look forward to keeping in touch soon. Thanks so much, Dom, and thanks so much for having me. I wish you all the best and have a beautiful weekend ahead.